To answer your question about anxiety and anxiety disorders, a very critical piece is first to be able to identify the existence of the phenomenon, and then the second is to understand the context in which it's taking place. And then part of that analysis is, what are we as young people doing to ourselves to make us, ourselves anxious? And what are the real cues that are coming to us from the outside? And I'm gonna introduce one other concept here, which may or may not be relevant to your listeners. It's the concept of what happens with the subconscious mind. Think about how many people drive an automobile 60 to 80 miles an hour and maybe go an hour's distance from say Miami to Palm Beach or Miami to Boca Raton. And all of a sudden you realize that you're about half an hour into your trip and you don't even realize where the last four exits were. Oh, I passed Hollywood already? Wow, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. So think about the power of the, of the subconscious mind that you are operating a 4,000 pound piece of equipment mm -hmm. going 60 to 80 miles an hour and you haven't crashed and you can't explain what happened to the last five exits. So subconscious mind drives a lot of our behavior in a lot of our activity in the world. Mm. And so one of the challenges to understanding when we are not feeling well or when we're not behaving well or we're not behaving to some expectation that we have to figure out whether it's my expectation or mommy's expectation or my teacher's expectation, mm -hmm. if something is off the mark, then one of the techniques that's available to us in identifying this context is to figure out what part of this problem is actually in the subconscious mind that we have to help make conscious so that we can address it and deal with it. Yeah. The things that drive behavior are essentially need and desire mm -hmm. and conscious thought and subconscious forces. The certain conditions are biomedically predetermined in a sense, like the vulnerability to certain forms of alcoholism is genetic in part. The vulnerability to bipolar disorder, bipolar mania or depression can be genetic in part. So there are two components that come back to our overlapping Venn diagram of before, which is what are the actual characteristics? Why is there a craving for cocaine? Or why is there a craving for marijuana? And then what do we actually do about that craving? Yeah. There are two different steps in the process. The mm -hmm. craving itself may be a strongly biological imperative, but what we do about it may be a, a personality and socially determined choice and behavior. For most human behaviors, most behaviors are healthiest when they're done in moderation. Right. So if somebody is at a young age starting to consume alcohol, then what is the role of the alcohol? Is it a mechanism to be able to engage in a social setting where other people are also drinking? That, mm -hmm. That's one purpose. Right. Is it to calm the sweaty palms that I have whenever I go out with friends? That's another purpose. Mm -hmm. Do I find that my ability to manage the volume of alcohol and the frequency of drinking is purely choice for me? Or is it something that feels like it's a biological imperative that's being driven and it's almost out of my control? Mm. This is an analysis that I have to go through if I want to be a healthy person. Because to be healthy in life, you have to have freedom and authority to make choices, but you also need a sense of responsibility. Right. For the person that's listening to this right now and they're thinking, what you just said is me. I never really had a, a partner. I could never really have a steady relationship. I was always pretty erratic. Maybe I was afraid for them to know the real me, so I drink. And when I drink, I, I have a version of myself that comes out that's good. But then, because I drink too much, 
I've become that guy and people don't like me and I have to do a lot of repairing the next day. In alcohol, for example, if, if I'm a person who's consuming alcohol because I'm using it as a tool, then I have to understand the effectiveness of that tool and how safe is that tool. And if I have no control over the use of it because I can't do what I want to do or I can't function even if I don't engage in the use of alcohol, then I'm no longer in charge. I'm no longer responsible for my behavior. And I'm actually losing my own freedom and authority because something else is governing what it is I have to do. So I have to do my own little efficacy safety analysis of my own behavior. And if it doesn't feel like I'm in charge of my own behavior, then I better figure out why or I'm going to travel down a pathway that, that may be totally destructive. So, okay, with substance use, some people are like, I'm not an addict, I'm not this, I'm not that, but if you were to ask their friends, it's like, you're smoking every day. Like, you're pretty much always high, and you're highly functional on fill-in-the-blank substance. So my question to you is, how can you become more aware of that? And some people are fully aware of it. What do you do with that? Well, as you said earlier in our conversation, self-awareness versus denial is a very important concept. Mm. There are some people that may be aware of some things that they're doing but feel like they can't control it. And there are some people who may not be aware that the behavior that they're participating in, like drinking alcohol or smoking cannabis, is actually negatively impacting themselves or their relationships with those around them. Mm. And so... For those that have some type of awareness that they're using one or more substances, then they have to ask themselves some questions. Why is this substance so important to me? And am I in some kind of good balance for this? Or am I using this substance for, for the wrong reasons? And is it having any functional impact on my relationships? Like the last five fights that I had with my wife, were they only on the days that I had already consumed three beers or two martinis? That'd be a pretty important pattern to recognize. Mm -hmm. So for the person who doesn't have an awareness that there may be an issue, that's a, a far more complicated question because for those without awareness, unless they're surrounded by, by people who actually care or for them or love them, uh, who are willing to step forward and bring it to their attention, then something really bad might have to happen in order to overcome the problem. Mm. And that's an unfortunate situation, which is sometimes in the substance abuse community conceptualized as hitting rock bottom. But sometimes you have to have real losses in, in order to be able to gain the insight that there's a problem there, unless there are others that are willing to bring it to your attention. But like you said, the rock bottom, in my family, there were a couple situations where we knew someone hit rock bottom and everything came to the surface because there was a DUI or because they hurt themselves. When that happens, I guess as a parent or as a friend, like what, what can you really do to help that individual? Because some people just distance themselves if they're friends, you know? Well, there, you know, there's a significant cutoff point there. That is, something horrible has happened or something horrible has not yet happened. When something horrible has not yet happened, there certainly can be signals that we can see that if there are changes in behavior in someone, then usually there's a reason for that. Now, that reason could be substance abuse, it could be a mood disorder that's evolving. 
It could be something horrible that happened among a friendship cohort or in school that the young person has not yet shared with an older, with a parent or some other kind of authority. Mm -hmm. Again, I think when it comes to children or adolescents and parents, parents have a responsibility to know a significant amount of things about their kids. You could never know everything that's in your child's mind, but you will know a lot about your child's behavior. And so if there are patterns of behavior that look problematic, you need to inquire about them and you need to engage your child in, in some dialogue and you need to be a part of your child's life and you need to model healthy values and behavior for your child at all times. There is no time off from that responsibility. The flipping point here has to do with if something bad has already happened, whether it's a 17-year-old you know, newly minted driver or it's a 27-year-old who's been driving for many years. If something bad happens, like there's a DUI arrest, mm -hmm. then we've already missed the warning signals long before that point. Right. But now at least nobody died in that accident or that arrest, so good. So now we use this as an opportunity to surface everything that's relevant about this substance use, whether it's cannabis or alcohol or something else that led to this problem. Mm -hmm. And we go through the analysis. What is the context of which this use is taking place? And how much use is involved? And what is the appeal? What is the interest?